Hi, and welcome to the Overflow Podcast. I'm Chuck Ammons, lead pastor of Overflow Church in Brandon, Florida, and we are here to help you receive the Father's love and to release it to everyone you encounter everywhere. Wherever you're listening from today, your God adores you. I pray this message elevates and ignites your faith. On this podcast, you will find biblical messages to activate your faith so you experience the goodness of God and the greatness of your unique voice in His kingdom. To find out more about Overflow Church, visit us at overflowchurch.com or on Facebook at Overflow Church Brandon. We'd also love to encourage you to check out our book, Life in the Overflow, and its accompanying devotional on amazon.com. Well, listen, we're diving right into a brand new message series this morning entitled, Lord, Build Your Church. And I believe we go the furthest together when we have expectancy together. So briefly as we start, I just want to tell you where we're going to be going over the next, I don't even know how many weeks. I started off and I told the staff, I said six weeks, and then I saw seven weeks, eight weeks, till sometime in 2024. I don't know, but this next series that we're walking through together, I want to tell you three big aims that we have. This is what we're going to do over the next weeks together. And I want you to start to stir in expectancy, not because of a message series I'm preaching, but because of an inheritance our Father has purchased for us. The first thing we're going to see is this. We are going to define and align with Jesus' intent for his church. We're going to clearly define today when there could be a lot of confusion what the church is. You hear a lot of people use the word church, and they can mean it as the place they go that has Sunday school and a program on Sunday, or they can mean the universal gathering of all believers together. But we're going to dive into four powerful pictures the Bible gives of what the church is. We're going to look at the first two of those this morning. And what we're going to do there is we're going to discern who we're called to be. That's the first thing we're going to do in this series. We're going to hear together corporately who we're called to be. And listen, anywhere the shoe doesn't fit and we're not walking quite right, we're going to realign so that we can run with Jesus. Amen? Amen. That's our first goal. The second goal is this. We're going to get our shovels out and we're going to get into the dirt together where we were made from so that we can recognize and celebrate the glory of Christ in you, the hope of glory. I want each person in our body, each person hearing my voice, my goal, my prayer is that you would see why your gift and your voice and the distinct perspective you carry is desperately needed in the family called the church. So we wouldn't just know who we're all called to be, but you would discover where you were shaped to run today. Because the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. We don't need more comparison in the body of Christ. We actually need you to embrace your uniqueness and see that it overflow. And in the church of Tampa, you have a lane right now where we desperately need you to have confidence and to run. Now, most of us, when I talk about this thing with glory, most of us recognize the glory in everyone else. We're really good at it. But we have difficulty recognizing the treasure that we bring. I think there's two reasons for that. One is our own brokenness. We can be our own worst enemy, right? We can be our worst critics. The things sometimes you say silently to yourself, you would never say out loud to someone else. Am I right? But there's a second reason for this that doesn't have to do with sin. And the second reason is that what is most remarkable about you has been with you for so long that you just think it's normal. What everybody else, and listen, for some of you, you need to hear me this morning. We're going to preach this in a few weeks. But for some of you, you keep deflecting God speaking identity over you. It's this false humility. Somebody comes and says, all the things you're great at, and you're like, oh, it's really not a big deal, or oh, it's all him. If it was all him, he didn't need to create you. He wanted partnership. He didn't just want Christ in him, the hope of glory. He wanted Christ in you, the hope of glory. So the next time somebody walks up and says, when you do this, heaven comes, you don't know, oh, no, brother, it's not. You need to say, thank God. 
I'm starting to discover who I am. So we're going to discover some of that together. The third goal, the final goal that we have together over this series, is we're going to practically define, this is where we're really going to slow down. Four and a half years, we've talked all around this, we've taught a lot of times, but we're going to slow down for as long as it takes to practically define five gifts of grace that the Holy Spirit has already placed within you. They're all in you when the Holy Spirit comes in you. However, they've been called to come to fullness, and so we're going to give a, a clear revelation of the Father's path to fullness and fruit that we can have together. These gifts are called the apostolic, the prophetic, the evangelistic, the shepherding, and the teaching. And for some of you, you're like, man, I've heard those a long time. For some of you, you're walking in them. For some of them, I just stepped into some church speak. But don't worry, over the next weeks, we're going to talk about what these gifts are. And practically, we're going to look at them. We're going to look at actually three environments we release grace I want to look at it on three levels. We're going to look at it at the corporate church level. That when we all come together, the early church met together and then they met house to house. There's a grace gift in you that we need here. We need when we come together and corporately celebrate. The second one we're going to look at is in community. Where you come face to face with a handful of other friends and family that you walk together with. At Overflow, we call those missional communities. We're going to talk about and we're going to see some major pivots today and later talking at our family meeting. I'm going to share with our missional communities the ways we're starting to do this, that Christ in you, the hope of glory, is just going to come out. But the third one I'm excited about that we miss is we're going to talk about it in everyday life. If God has placed grace in you, then that grace is supposed to be so fluid that it comes to your parenting, it comes to your marriage, it comes to your job, it comes into your finances. And if all of us embrace together that it's not good for man to be alone, that we've been made a part of a community, then we can start to see the things about us that are really strong, but we could also see the things that are weaknesses and we need community to come around us. So we're going to talk about those three environments. I'm going to help give an assessment and a diagnostic for all of us of your current health in those graces and your next step. We're going to talk about four C's that you need in your life to release grace. If you want to see grace grow in your life, then you need to walk in a place where there is character, where there is competence, where you have connection within a community. You're not walking isolated. And then ultimately, you have a receptivity to covering and coaching. And so in that, the last part, we're going to be so practical. I don't want you to just say, yeah, I'm kind of prophetic. I want you to know exactly what that means. I want you to see what it looks like on Sunday morning, in your missional community, in your daily life. And then I want you to hold up the mirror and say, how am I doing? Because right now, there's one of three ways grace is pouring out of each of our lives. There's one of three ways we, we uh, interact with grace. One would be healthy. There's some areas of your life right now that the grace coming from heaven, there's no lag time. It's just pouring out of you so that you know who you are. You have an evangelistic grace, and everywhere you go, good news follows. That's great. We're going to celebrate that and help you see that, and we're going to help position you in the body to see it. The second one, though, is what I would call ineffective grace. And what I mean by that is you're going, and you're, maybe you feel like you know, it's just not quite positioned yet. It feels like it's silent, or it feels like it's stagnant. You're at a place that you're like, I keep planting seeds in the ground, but it just doesn't feel like anything's happening. And we're going to talk about how that might be because you haven't yet been equipped in a type of grace. It might be a maturing that you need within your grace, or it might be a wound that you've got that needs healing before you can actually go and bear fruit. So we're talking about healthy grace. We're going to talk about ineffective grace. And then we're going to talk about a third category called toxic grace. This is where you've heard a lot of things that have come through some of these scandals that have shown up is when grace works in a way that it actually gets abused and it begins to hurt you and hurt others and it's no longer grace at all. And what that's going to do for us as a church is sometimes there are questions. How are leaders selected at Overflow Church? 
I'm going to give a clear picture because it's all about where you're operating grace right now for you and for the body. And so for each of us, we're going to have the joy of saying, I see where I'm at. And in every area of my life, I see how to step forward. All that said, I have an unapologetic goal for the next weeks together. And this is my goal, that every missional community, say every missional community. Good, that sounded like we almost enjoyed it. Say, every missional community. Good. And the regular rhythms of our life, that's everywhere you go, would operate and mature in fivefold grace and fivefold community. And so as we've walked four and a half years, many of you have heard the language of this, you've heard us talk about it, but we're gonna get really, really practical and walk it out together. So I want you with me, just put your hand on your heart right now. Would you say this this morning? Say, Jesus, I want... All you have for me. I don't want to be cynical. I don't want to be jaded. I don't want to think I've seen all of your glory. You've got more to show me. So I come right now eager. Speak to me. Silence every lie. And Lord, build your church. If you agree that, say amen. Amen. All right. So I want to share four images. This is where we're starting. Four images of what Jesus defines his church as. These are the things we must build and we must be. And listen, if we've got to make a choice, we're going to lean on these four. I want to tell you right now, of the four, none of them have to do, sadly, with a coffee bar or the style of music or if you have a fog machine. Those just didn't make it into the final New Testament manuscripts. But I want to look at what did. Number one, what did Jesus say the church is? Here it is. Number one, the church is Jesus' strategy to release his kingdom and to conquer hell. I want to say that again. The church is Jesus' strategy to release his kingdom and to conquer hell. We see this in Matthew chapter 16. Jesus and the disciples are talking, and it says this. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. For the very first time on planet Earth that the institution of the church was ever mentioned, and I'll go further, the only time it was ever mentioned in all of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's right here, and it's uttered by the lips of Jesus. See, there was another word that Jesus used way more than the word church. And it was the word from the beginning of Genesis all the way through the Gospels. The word that dominated the scene was the word kingdom. I'm going to build a kingdom. And we read in the Gospels about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven 
coming down to the earth. Listen, 55 times in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus talks about the kingdom being built. 16 times in the Gospel of Mark, 40 times in Luke, 5 times in John, 29 times in the rest of the New Testament. For a total of 145 times, Jesus says, my, my heart, my goal, my mission is that the kingdom of God, the reign of God, which is nothing more than us being with God as sons and daughters and reigning with him as kings and queens to bring restoration to the earth. He said, I want the kingdom to come. The kingdom is the big picture, but I don't want you to miss this. Because here in Matthew 16, he gives us a crucial key to the kingdom of God when he says this. His strategy to bind hell and release heaven on earth. In fact, I'm going to say his only strategy that he ever gave to bind hell and release his kingdom was a family he would build called the church. This passage starts and he asks the disciples, who do you say I am? Who do people say I am? I want to say that's the most important question any of us will ever answer. What are you going to do with Jesus? And so they answered. They said, well, Lord, some people say you're a prophet. Some people say you're a great teacher. Some people say you were a good moral example. That hasn't changed today, has it? I don't find a lot of Jesus haters when I go out there. I find lots of people that are down with Jesus. They love Jesus, but lots of them, he's a great teacher. He's a good example. He's kind of like Gandhi, except he created Gandhi. Anyway, <laughs> Jesus goes deeper and he asks this question, but what do you say? And Peter, always the first to answer, jumps to the front of the line. He says, I say, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the promised Savior. You're the coming King who's going to bring the kingdom, and you're our only hope. And I love Jesus' response because there's a play on words that Jesus answers with that many people have misunderstood what he meant. Jesus comes and he says this. He says, you're Peter. Peter's name means little stone. He says, you're a little stone, and on this rock, I'm going to build the church. i got to tell you something today. He was not installing Peter as the first pope. <laughs> because Peter's just a little stone, and he's going to build the church on a rock. You've got to pay attention to what he's saying, because listen, Pete's dead and with Jesus, and the church is still advancing. What's the firm foundation he's talking about? I want us to look at the passage just before that. What does he say to Peter? He says this, you ready? Flesh and blood didn't reveal this, but my Father who is in heaven. I want to tell you the rock the church is built on is not a revered leader. It's a revelation from a father. We say it this way. The foundation of the church. What do I mean? I mean our authority. I mean our hope. I mean our promise. I mean when your circumstances stink, what gets you out of bed in the morning and saying, it's still going to be okay. We need a foundation, right? You know, in Florida, if you don't have a foundation, we've seen the sinkholes that happen. What's the foundation of the church? The foundation of the church is our surrender to lean faithfully and firmly on everything our Father is saying and not our own opinions and strategies and experiences and talents. I want to tell you that I believe God called the church to be a prophetic community. This is what I mean. That we're the one community on earth that does not come together because we say so. We come together because we believe he said so. 
We're the one group on earth that does not say these are our creeds that we think so. No, we listen to and we follow what he says. We're the only membership on the planet that the design is not to stay in or out based on how they treat me, but what he says. We stay together because he says so. The rock of the church isn't a group that gathers together around a trendy human leader or a platform or a program. It's a family who stays gathered in complete reliance on the Father's revelation. What Jesus is saying in this passage is this. I'm going to raise up a global family, and here's what's going to be special about them. They're going to stake their entire lives on what I say, and they are going to stay together. You hear people say right now, well, you know, really, I'm a follower of Jesus, but, but I don't really have to be in the church. Or, well, the church doesn't really mean what the church used to mean. Let me go ahead and tell you, I'm a language scholar. Church means assembled ones. So the idea of you being your solo church with you on the beach, my church is me and the beach, unless you got some seashells that came to Jesus, that's not true. <laughs> and you're having a beautiful time in creation, but church only takes place when the saints assemble, Avengers assemble, okay? The church is not the church until we're the assembled ones. And he said, this is the power that's going to shake hell. That I have a family that are not going to lean on, well, Pete was awesome, and we trust Pete, or Pastor Chuck was awesome, or Pastor Lynn is awesome, or man, you know, Joel Osteen is awesome. He said, no, you're not resting on a revered leader. You're resting on a revelation of a father that he spoke, and we trust him no matter what our eyes see, and we are going to stay together. He said, that is the power that shakes hell. He gave this church one mission. He said that we were to take authority over every manifestation of hell on earth until it bows as a declaration of heaven. <laughs> All right, somebody. I feel, I don't know, I feel like the Costco manager that just said, I'm going to have 25 cent off pizza. Let me just go back for just a second. We've been given a mission on earth to take authority over every manifestation of hell on earth. Do we see manifestations of hell on earth? But of all families and all bodies, only one has been given authority to come over every manifestation of hell on earth until it bows as a declaration of heaven. Why did God build his church? Listen, the church of the living God is called to be colonies of heaven who set up camp in every place hell resides, binding its poisons and loosing the Father's presence until hell flees and heaven comes. He goes further. He says, how am I going to do that? He said, I give you keys. Keys are all about authority. Keys give access. They open doors that you're supposed to go into. You're now free to move about the cabin, but keys also lock other doors, and they say, this is no longer allowed. Off limits. Come on, parents, you got places where you lock a door. You're like, you're not going in here anymore. <laughs> That's what keys do. You need keys to open doors that have not been accessible. He said, there are things that I want accessible on earth that the cross paid for. And the only strategy that I have is a family of crazy people that would say, though we're prone to get offended or to get hurt or to see hypocrisy, we're going to keep trusting the Father and we're going to stay together, not because we feel like it, but because he said it. And we're going to trust what he said. And wherever we see hell, we're going to go camp there until it becomes a declaration of heaven. And he said, I gave you keys and you need to know it. 
Because there's some things you need to open up for people they've never seen before, and there's other things you need to say no more. We need to look at sex trafficking and the abuse of children and no more, that door's locked. We need to look at the foster epidemic in our city and say, no more, that door's locked because the church is on the scene and we've been given keys. Keys are about access. But listen, keys also activate. Keys power up our vehicles until we got that push button thing. But you still have a key fob, right? And without the key fob, you're not going anywhere. When somebody's fired from a job, what's the last thing they're asked to do? Turn in your keys. I want you to hear what Jesus is saying here in a different way today. When Jesus comes to the disciples and says, I'm giving you keys, this is what he's saying. The enemy doesn't have the keys you lost in Eden anymore. I hold the keys, and I'm taking you back to Eden where I'm giving them to you again, and I'm saying, stay together, lean on what I say, and hell will flee. So what do we do? We bind up hell, and we lose heaven. And I got to take just a minute and celebrate Overflow Church, okay? I want to celebrate how I see you doing this. Why do we have a number of families in our body that are on the front lines of fostering and adopting, sacrificially pouring out your rights and your comfort and your home and your souls with puddles of tears all over the fields of restoration you're on? Why? Because your king gave you keys, and so you're camping at the gates of hell until it looks like heaven. Why do we have a missional community that goes to the heart of our city, to the adult clubs, to bless and pray for and embrace the girls there and the bouncers that are protecting them with the love of the Father because we've been given keys and we're going in to take back what the enemy has stolen? Why do we send missionaries? I got to tell you, in these last years, we've been watching a flurry of missionaries, first with Karis stepping up and Karis being called as a young lady to minister into a country ravaged by terrorism and as it's gotten harder and tougher and they have, have said don't come in, all she's done is double down and find more creative ways from here to get within the walls there. Why does she do that? Because she's camping at the gates of hell and pushing it back and saying Haiti belongs to the Lord and I won't abandon it because my father called me to camp here until heaven comes. Why do we have missionaries, Philip and Anna, though? We love them and their family, and we don't ever want them to leave face-to-face with us being with us here, saying we're willing to, to, to set aside our entire livelihood to move to unknown frontiers. Why? Because the king has given us keys, and he's called. Did you know even this week, one of our missional community leaders, Samuel Benitez, he's over in Puerto Rico, and the reason he went to Puerto Rico is because God called him from here to go and be a missionary, and so he's assessing the work there this week. Why? Because Puerto Rico belongs to the Lord. And so right now, can you just join me, hands up? Can you say, we bless you, Samuel, in the name of the Lord. We bless you. We bless what you're doing. We say you are called and you are anointed. And we're excited to see you move. And we say that we go with you. You're not alone. The church of the living God is camping with you there. Yes, Lord. Why does Ken Ackerman go every other Monday night to the rough part of town on the other side of the tracks? with a number of men who have joined us to those who've been released from prison and called every name in the book trying to find freedom on the other side of the walls because he's setting up a colony of heaven there. Why do we talk so much and support so much Nigeria and Haiti and the Dominican Republic that's getting ready under Ronnie and Sarah's uh, covering to take another trip, just getting ready to come around the corner? Why do we have monthly sponsorships of orphans and establish schools and train and support pastors? Because our king gave us the keys. 
Why is the constant conversation of our church so much we branded it on the wall? That we've been called to walk as lifestyle missionaries who pursue everyone everywhere with the love of the Father, which means that we constantly urge one another to slow down and be present with somebody somewhere today and pour him out because the king gave us keys. The church, the church more than it is anything else on the planet. Jesus had one thing he could say. He said it was a colony that was going to come with authority as his strategy to establish his kingdom on earth by making hell flee. And I would submit to us that perhaps Christians are written off in the public eye and in the press because we've spent too much time pontificating about our so-called righteousness and Christian values and too little time prostrating before God to cry out, here am I, send me. I want you to hear me with hope this morning. Broken people who encounter the church's incarnation won't be able to keep themselves from embodying the church's life-transforming information. See, incarnation is what Jesus did when he came from a high place down to a low place and said, I'm camping out here. Jesus didn't come on a three-year tour and say, I'm just showing up for the preaching part. He had 30 years of growing up, of camping out with the disciples, right? Pull my finger, all that, right? They, they would have lived through all of that. Jesus and the guys. Somebody's offended. Somebody's going to me, I cannot believe you just said Jesus would have done pull my finger. He created it. He created it. It happened. It was on Chosen, season four. You'll see it. Why did he take 33 years? Why did he take 33 years for what would be accomplished in three hours on a Friday? Somebody hear me. Why did he take 33 years for something that would be accomplished in three hours on Calvary on a Friday? Because he chose incarnation. And when the church in the same way slows down from our pontificating, our preaching out, these are our values, this is right and this is wrong, from our ivory towers, and we instead come down and say, I'm going to live amidst the broken and spend myself as a brother or a sister that does not think I'm above you. When the church will walk in incarnation, I'm going to tell you, you will not be able to stop the people from embodying the life-giving information that the Holy Spirit desires. We've just reversed the order. The number one desire of the church is a colony of heaven that will make hell flee. And I love this because the early church, they got it. As I told you, all the way up to the Gospels, it was kingdom, 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 kingdom. Church was mentioned once. We turn into the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2. The church is birthed, and did you know from that time, I'm a language nerd, the language completely inversed from that moment to the end of the Bible. And suddenly, instead of kingdom, 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 it was the church establishing the kingdom, the church establishing the kingdom. All in all, from Acts to the end, I told you 155 times kingdom showed up in all that time before, from Acts to the end of the Bible, 109 times, it is the church who is establishing the kingdom. What is the church? It is Jesus' only strategy to establish his kingdom and make hell flee. It's the assembled ones. And so I say this with a broken heart, and I say this with a heart full of humility, but this lie of Christians right now that we can live as the unassembled ones, and in our own way we're just pushing back hell, is not the strategy the Father had in mind. The first thing, we push back hell, yeah? The second one this morning is this. What is the church? The church is a spirit-empowered family who stays with their father and stays 
together. Acts chapter 2, this is the birth of the church, and it's telling us right after Peter preaches the sermon, right after the point where they're going, the Holy Spirit has fallen, we see this is the result. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together, and they had everything in common. They sold their property and their possessions to give to anyone who had need, and every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, through the years, I've heard so many people lament, and I've been one of them, that we give this lament, right? I just wish it could be like the days of the early church. Anybody ever said that? I just wish it could be like the early church. And I want to tell you, passages like this, I see why. I want to tell you, just read a little further to Acts 5, Ananias and Sapphira, and people passing out dead and them taking it out. Maybe you don't want to be exactly like the early church. The early church were people like us, and they had problems like us. But when we look at passages like this, man, there's something that says, I want to be like that. But if we're not careful, there's something lazy we can do to miss how they were like that. It's right there in Acts chapter 2. There's this key word that shows up. It says that they had a certain kind of commitment to God and each other. And the word the Bible uses is they were devoted. And in the actual construct of the language, there's four things they were devoted to. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to fellowship. They were devoted to the breaking of bread. And they were devoted to prayer. I'm a language guy. What does the word devoted mean? That would be pretty important if that was the secret sauce for the church. It's this. Devoted means to be completely adhered to, like super glue. To give constant attention and care, to persevere and not get distracted or give up, to courageously cling to, and to be in constant readiness to participate. Why was the early church the early church? Because they were devoted. First, they were devoted to the teaching of their recognized leaders. By the way, that's not just talking about the preaching of one guy like we do a lot of times in churches in America. No, it's actually referring to the total body of instruction from every one of the fivefold recognized leaders. It's everything they brought. So here at Overflow, you watch our fivefold leaders or our pastors and elders. So I want you to take the totality of all you've ever heard any of us say, regardless of which personality or which one you're like, I like that person because they don't talk as long as Pastor Chuck talks. Whichever one you picked. It's the totality of all of it, and it says the early church was devoted. They were clung. They would cling to, like, super glue everything that was being said. And I got to tell you, I have a blessing of being so received here in our family. I just want to thank you. As I walk with a lot of pastors, and I've heard a lot of stories over 25 years in ministry, I feel so received. But that said, I, I don't know any pastors, myself included, that would say, the experience on Sunday morning is, you know what, when I get up, I'm not trying to shorten down my message. They're so hungry. They're just like pulling it out of me. And when I get done, they're like, please, pastor, one more hour, please. I just need more revelation. Tell me something. I'm super glued. Please, can we come back? Can we have a Sunday night service, a Monday morning service, Monday afternoon service? As much revelation as you've got, I want it. Statistics would show right now that the average faithful church member in America is only a part of their corporate worship twice a month. That means that they're missing half of their church's corporate teaching and worship. The early church was devoted. 
The second, the early church was devoted to fellowship. Now, that word, we think fellowship, maybe you grew up like I did, uh, and the times I would go to church, I'd go to a little Baptist church, and fellowship meant the time on, like, the fourth Sunday when we'd all bring a crock pot together, and we'd stay after, and we'd eat lunch, right? In the Deep South, that's fellowship. But in the New Testament, the word fellowship means co-equal participation. Co-equal partnership. It means to be equally in. Why did they see the fruit they saw? Because for them, when it came to their hearts, there was no separation between the staff in the members. They received their pastor's authority, their leader's authority, but they had equal ownership and zeal and attention and presence because they didn't walk in the way some have in our Western culture saying, oh, well, the church, that's their job. They said, no, it's his body, and that means it's my church. It's a co-equal participation where you say, my voice is needed. Third, they were devoted to the breaking of bread. Now, that meant two things. One, we talk about the breaking of bread. They're talking about communion there. That's the first thing they're saying, is the early church never got over the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for them. They never got over. When they got together as often as they did, they were remembering, oh, we're here because he's been broken and because the wine of his spirit has been poured out. But the second was they actually ate together. They lived in, in close. It was before the electric car, right? They were all together in one city, and they ate at each other's tables. There was so much time spent together. So because of that, they developed these profound relationships that only develop over time. The last one, they were devoted to prayer. Prayer was not just a last resort when all their plans had failed, but it was their continual first response. It wasn't just private, quiet times that we had, and then we'd come together and sing songs and put on church face, and I'm good, brother, bless the Lord, how are you? It was vulnerable communities that would let each other into the really broken stuff in their world. And they would labor and live and lament and lean on God together. And I want you to pay attention because in Acts 2, it says that there were three results to that kind of devotion. The three results, I'm just going to hit them quickly here. The first was they saw the awe of miracles and wonders pouring out around them all the time. See, under that kind of unity and fervency of spirit, God can't help but pour out and move. The second result they saw was this. They had profoundly connected and rooted relationships, so they shared everything. Through the years, and I want to tell you, I have nobody in my mind that's in the room right now, so don't come later and be like, were you talking about me, Pastor? I don't do that. I don't passive-aggressively preach, okay? But I've had many come to me through the years wanting the church to be that for them. I want the church to be a profoundly committed family to me, but they're not all in. They're stepping back with suspicion. Once you actually show me that you're really going to chase me, then I'm going to kind of let you in. Their, their heart, their trust, their gifts, and their commitment are still being held back, but they're faulting the church or even leaving the church because you weren't all there for me. See, in the early church, they recognized that trust takes time. It's a seed you have to plant in the ground and let abide there and let stay there, and they weren't quick to run. And part of that wasn't just because they were so holy. It's because it was the only church in town, and you had to walk a really far way to get to another one. But because of that, it meant when it got hard, they stayed together. They didn't just go, well, I'm going to that church because I like their worship better or that, that guy preaches different than you. They actually stayed together. There's, the third thing they saw was this. There was a personal peace and favor that was exploding all around them. They ate with glad and sincere hearts, and the Lord added to their number daily. The church exploded. So I want to land it here this morning because it's been popular in the culture that we're around for people, and, and Christians especially, to want to blame the church. And what I've heard a lot of church blame come for is two things. I'm mad at the church, and I'm not going to be a part of a church anymore. I'm not going to be a part of your church anymore because of hurt and because of hypocrisy. 
Those are the two things I always hear. I can tell you 98% of the cases I've ever heard of somebody not wanting to come to a church, it's hurt and hypocrisy. And I have two problems with that when a Christian says this is the problem with the church. My problem number one is you're the church. And I'm the church. So unless you're saying that all those people have hypocrisy and all those people have the capacity to hurt, but I don't, that's a problem, which kind of leads me into my second problem is that hurt and hypocrisy are true in every community where people are present. If anybody other than Jesus comes in the room, there's going to be hurt and there's going to be hypocrisy. Why? Because we don't yet know and see as we should. I don't mean open, blatant, and I know there have been all kinds of terrible, toxic, we're going to talk about that, toxic things that have happened in church. But I'm talking about people leaving healthy churches or leaving the church altogether when actually what they're getting is just the normal life. And they're like, I'm going to go join another community. And I'm going to say, it's going to be self-fulfilled prophecy. I'm not cursing you. But your next community outside of the walls of the church is going to be filled with hurt and hypocrisy because that's why we all need a savior. The only one who's never going to hurt you or walk as a hypocrite is Jesus Christ. And when we lean into the community, I think there's a far better question. So I just want to say this. If you've experienced deep church hurt, <laughs> uh, can I? Just a sec. I just got to. Okay, thanks, Pastor Ken. Some, sometimes people come and talk to us as pastors as if we don't understand church hurt. They'll come and say, well, you know, what I've gone through is this, that, the other. Can I, can I just humbly submit to you that maybe the people that have spent multiple decades with it being the bane of their existence every day might know a thing or two about church hurt? Could it, could it be maybe that, that at times we've heard a lot more of it and experienced a lot more and cried a lot deeper than you have? Maybe the reason that we stand within the church is not because we're hopeless idealists who just won the lottery, but because we've actually had to develop a lot of perseverance and growing up and stay when at times we feel like, Lord, we want to go anywhere else, but where else would we go? So I just want to say with a lot of love, the one thing that I want to see stop is I want to see Christians stop scapegoating the church as if what's happening with the church is any different than any other organization of humans coming together. And what I want to give us is a better question. Because with hurt and hypocrisy, that goes deep, and it needs restoration. But there's a better question. And the better question, so I'm going to ask this, whether this is you, whether you're watching online and you're at the place saying, I don't know how to connect with the church. Maybe you've left a church and you're trying to find your way back in and somebody sent this message to you. I want to ask a better question. And the better question that I want to ask is this. Are the people that I'm being invited to walk with people of humility? Are they people of integrity? Are they people that walk in love? Are they people that walk in honesty? Thank you, my brother. You are a true servant. And to everybody else having to hear the gravel in my voice, they all say thank you. I've only got 40 more minutes. Just kidding. It'll, it'll go quicker now. Are they people of integrity? I think that's the question you need to ask. And, and I would just say in love, and, and I don't watch this. I watch such a beautiful family here. But I just want to say in love, if we can stop with people coming to us who want to quickly scapegoat their pastors or their church, I just want to tell you, I've watched our pastors are the real deal. We have something special here, Overflow Church. I'm watching brothers and sisters that love the Lord that are open to correction. They walk in humility and honesty and integrity and love, and I'll go with them to the end of the earth. Is there going to come time where there's hurt and hypocrisy? Yeah, you betcha. That's why we need... A savior. Personally, I want to say this. As your lead pastor, I am aware that I have many flaws. I have much maturing to do, and I have stuff that I'm not good at. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. 
In four and a half years, I got to tell you, stepping into a lead pastor role, the leadership of a church is a humbling experience. Sometimes, some of y'all will come to us and say, I don't want you to get a big head, and I just want to let you know, that's really not a concern. Um, when you lead, that's not the danger. So I would say to you and to one another, I think we should recognize and celebrate the glory with one another without having to give caveats like that, because I think when you tell somebody who they are in the kingdom, it doesn't swell up their head. I'm going to tell you, if they're following Jesus, it will humble them, because we know that only he is worthy of all of that. I want to take a minute, though, as I've been thinking about our family meeting that's coming a little later, and if you want to stick around for that, if you weren't planning on it, please stay. We're going to have food together, and we're going to talk about where we're going in the next month. That's what we do twice a year at our family meeting. But I want to take this minute, even before the family meeting, and I want to thank so many of you that have been patient in four and a half years as you've shared frustrations and gaps and disappointments. As you've looked at things that don't quite look like heaven or somebody that missed it or a place that I missed it, that you've walked patiently and humbly as part of the solution. So to answer the question, are there gaps in the church? Yeah, yeah. Are there gaps in Overflow Church? Yeah. It takes the whole body, and at family meeting in a few minutes, we're going to be celebrating many of the leaders that have seen the gaps and have not walked in suspicion or judgment, but with all-filled invitation. They didn't come through the door with commentary, but as a compassionate contributor of community. And I want to tell you, that's what I see all across the room today. See, that's the special sauce the early church swam in. They were empowered by the Holy Spirit. They stayed with God, but the key is they stayed together. They weren't so quick to jump when it got uncomfortable because of hurt or hypocrisy. They continued to lean on him. We're just starting to see that here in four and a half years. We're just getting started, and I'm so excited about what's going. But for each of us this morning, if we want to know where it starts to be the kind of church Jesus called us to be, it doesn't start out there. It starts right here. Jesus has a plan for the kingdom of God to be established on the earth that he has not given up on. Jesus has planted a rock that rests on sons and daughters bold enough to lean on his revelation. And for each of us to come together and bring the individual strands we each see so that we can grow to fullness together. We can walk as a church that knows our authority and teaches the next generation to camp at the very gates of hell, to bind the enemy's lies, and to release the Father's transforming love. We can choose to keep being a prophetic community that stays together, not because of our feelings, but because of his call. And we can be devoted to experience him together. So Overflow Church, this is my charge for us this morning. From the youngest to the oldest, from the longest tenured pastor to the newest member. If this is home for you, the only question this morning is, what's my part? Would you stand with me? I want to ask two questions this morning. So I'm just going to ask right away. If you close your eyes, just lay your hand on your heart. I'm going to ask our prayer ministers to come forward. And here's what I want to do in the few minutes that we're going to have right here. First of all, breathe. You just stood. Breathe deeply. If we go through this time and hear the charge and we don't apply it, we've missed the point. As I'm talking right now, one of these questions might prompt your heart. It might even be right now. Let me just say this. I want to give freedom in the room. Right now, one of you might have come in and you might have been like, Pastor, that message was awesome. Um, but this crisis is what I'm going through right now, and I really need somebody to wrap arms around me. I'm going to ask right now, the reason we have prayer ministers up front if you have a need right now, 
that isn't even tied to anything I said, would you not hesitate? Would you just step out from your seat and let them come into agreement with you? Would you come? For the rest, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give a few charges. And you may need somebody to walk with you. And as you see it and go, yeah, I don't want to just declare that from my seat. I want to walk with somebody. I'm going to ask you to step out from your seat and walk to this prayer minister and let them agree. Let them camp with you at the gates of hell until heaven is established there. But right now, hand on your heart, I'm going to ask two questions. The first one is this. Where are you camping as a colony of heaven right up against the gates of hell? Let me ask it another way. What is it that's broken in this planet that burns in you to say that, if only Jesus could change that, I would submit to you that that burden, that that passion might just be where you're supposed to go camp. Maybe God's saying to you, you haven't camped there yet, but today's the day you need to step out. You need to walk to one of these intercessors and say, this is where God called me to step out in boldness and I'm not going to wait any longer until I have a plan. I need to camp at the gates of hell. For others right now, I want to answer the question because there's so many that you're living on mission. Where are you camping at the gates of hell? Would you tell them? Gosh, this, Lord, is where life is uncomfortable and it's tough. And this is the yes that I've given you. Can I ask, who are you camping there with? We haven't been called to walk alone. Here's the key question. Where do you need fresh grace and anointing to bind up hell? Where is it in your life right now where you need anointing to come and you need it from the community called the church. For some of you, I hope that faces are coming to your mind of your missional community, of people you walk closely with. Just this last week, I had a deep struggle with my foster son that's been going on for a long, long time. The pattern kept getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And finally it pushed too far and God stopped me and he corrected me and he said, hey, you're treating this like it's a natural problem. I've called you and your wife and your family to bind up hell. And so what we did was we ran together and we said, hey, we as a foster family, we're camping here. But we've let this go on too long. We got on our knees. We asked the Lord together to move. You know, it was less than 24 hours later, that very report I got, I had three other teachers from this precious son come to me and go, I don't know what happened in the last 24 hours, but it's nothing short of miraculous. One of them even said at the thing, well, there is a God out there looking out somewhere because I don't know how in the world else that could have happened. This is what I'm asking, not what is uncomfortable in your world. Where are you called to bind up hell and who's going with you? And where do you need fresh anointing this morning because you're just tired? and you're discouraged, if that's you, would you step out? Don't take it alone. Don't do this individual, I'll journal about it later and figure it out in my individual Lone Ranger Christianity. Walk in community, the community's the strategy. Where do you need anointing to loose heaven today? Maybe it's just a place in your life, it's, it's, it's loosing what God wants to do. It's seeing blessing. Maybe you're at a place that even as you've been walking, you're a leader of this church and you see gaps, you see places, and God's saying, I want you to lose heaven there. Where do you need to receive anointing? Would you step into it? The last question I want to ask this morning with your hand on your heart is this. What is God saying to you about living fully devoted? 
perhaps in your life right now, living fully devoted to him, super glued to him, not as, as an item in your life, but everything. Maybe he's given you a revelation right now. And listen, don't take that with striving or heaviness. Take it as an invitation. <laughs> Sometimes heaven shows up in surprising ways. <laughs> I love that. Signs and wonders and miracles. There we go. If the Lord is speaking to you right now about your devotion with him, please don't strive. Please don't take this as another. I just need to get better at my quiet time. Would you just surrender right now? Lord, I hear that revelation from you, and I don't want any separation or distance. I know there's no separation on your side. Give me the anointing right now to stop living distracted. Show me the game plan and let me walk in community. For some of you, the reason it's not working is you're walking in isolation. Somebody hear me this morning. You're doing everything else right, but you're doing it on your own. God's telling you it's time to choose community. For somebody this morning, he's telling you it's time to step into a missional community. You need to find Pastor Chris right after this service and say, okay, I need to know the missional communities because I need to be a part of one. For some of you, it's a point here at our church that overflow is home and maybe you believed that your role was, was just to come in and to quietly pray, but God says, no, you're a part of the culture of heaven. With what you're seeing, you need to step out boldly. Maybe it's something he's saying he needs to heal within you. I'm going to ask every person in the room right now, would you just take a moment and surrender? Father, I want to be fully devoted to your vision for the church. I don't want to be suspicious. I don't want to be cynical. I don't want to be jaded. I don't want to be hurting. Would you meet me in this place? Would you show me the people to walk with me? Or maybe it's Father... There's this gift, there's this glory that you say I bring, and I've been pushing it away. I've been saying, oh, no, not really a thing. And this morning, you need to surrender and say, there's a glory I bring to the body, and I'm stepping out. So I'm going to say this right now. This is the last charge I'm going to give. I sense that there is somebody right now this morning. I sense there is somebody this morning that God is calling you to step out in a greater level of kingdom leadership. That might be here at the church. That might be in your family. That might be in your job. But there's actually a step he wants you to take. There's a place where you've been considering it. You've been thinking about it. You've been doing the false humility thing. But he's saying, I'm telling you who you are, and you need to not wait anymore. It's time to step out. Five years ago, my buddy Caleb stepped out, and we celebrated the fruit today. Somebody's supposed to step. And what I'm going to ask right now, if that's you, I'm going to ask if that's you, would you lift up your hand? God says, I'm supposed to step out. I'm just going to ask you, lift up your hand and just hold it up. God says, there's some area in my life I'm supposed to step out right now. There's some greater authority I'm supposed to step out. Would you lift up your hand and just hold it up? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. This is what I'm going to ask everybody else in the room. Keep your hands up. And I'm going to ask, if you're around one of these people with their hands up, would you just put your hands on them right now and begin to pray that God's fullness of revelation, his courage, his grace... His anointing would be released to them. May you walk in courage in what God's saying. May you walk in courage in what God's saying. Father, we agree with every word that you're saying. We bind up every word of hell. We bind up every word of the accuser to isolate, to lie, to get them to back away, to walk in fear. And we release courage and boldness in Jesus' name. Be strong and very courageous. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Jesus, we agree together. Let's just take a moment here. Take a moment just ministering and praying. Pastor Lynn's going to come close our service. Lord, would you build your church? Let's just continue to pray.